Holy Week had opened with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and it ended with Jesus riding out of town on a gurney. He came into the city at the head of a parade, palm fronds waving, hosannas and shouts sent up. And he left the city carried by two men under a sheet to a reception of black crepe paper strung over the door of a tomb. The whole week had flown by, but the pace of the burial was frantic. There was no time to waste. Some of the hurry was procedural. Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin and a believer in Jesus, but secretly, the text says, has asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Not an unusual request. The bodies of the crucified and the executed were often thrown into a mass grave unless the families or the friends of the executed asked to have them. Mary and the brothers of Jesus were still too shell-shocked to make the ask. And maybe, maybe they didn't know the proper channels. The bureaucracy was too intimidating. You had to get an appointment. Take the bus downtown to the procurator's office. Sit in a waiting room. Never have your name called. Told to come back tomorrow. But tomorrow would be too late. The disciples, they didn't ask for his body either. They'd all gone yellow. They didn't mind being counted his followers while Jesus was making fools of Pharisees in the temple courts. But now... The Pharisees have made a ragged fool of Jesus. And the disciples aren't making any sudden or public moves. They're not doing anything to draw attention to themselves. So none of them make an appeal for his body. But Joseph does. Joseph has a grave and an expensive one. He bought a plot for himself when there was a sale for those inclined to think about the end of their lives and to make preparations ahead of time. There are no real funeral arrangements for Joseph to make. It would be easy for him to do it. And Joseph can move fast. He has political corrections. As as a member of the Sanhedrin, he could get to Pilate without an appointment. There is no waiting room for him. No stern secretary guarding the heavy oak door to his silent office. And so Joseph makes his hurried appeal, something about the Jewish law and the removal of uncleanness for the Jewish holiday and a riot to be averted in the city and Rome's best interest. And Pilate would only half listen, but somehow he'd get the point. And Joseph makes a breathless sprint from Pilate's office back out to Golgotha, holding the release form for Jesus' body, hoping he's not too late. Some of Joseph's hurry was probably personal, inspired by his own regret and grief and lament. He was a member of the Sanhedrin who didn't agree with the ruling against Jesus, Because he loved Jesus, he was a follower, but he didn't cast a no vote. The Gospels say that the Sanhedrin was unanimous in its ruling. So where was Joseph? 
Either Joseph didn't vote according to his heart, which we often do, or he wasn't there. Maybe when he got the call for the midnight trial, he pulled the sheets back up over his head and didn't want to see what was going to happen. Didn't want to stand up and profess faith. Or maybe he was there for the trial, but when they called for the vote, he ran around back of the chief priest's house and threw up in the yard for fear and shame. Or he was down in the courtyard warming himself at the barrel fire with Peter, lodging a silent betrayal of his own. Joseph had deserted Jesus too, and Joseph buried Jesus as a hurried apology to an abandoned friend. The bulk of the hurry was the Passover itself. Whatever their closeness to Jesus, whatever hopes they'd pinned to him, whatever theology they had secretly built on his shoulders, whatever their feelings were for him, there was the enormous Jewish concern to take bodies off crosses before the Sabbath, and not just any Sabbath, but the most important Sabbath on the Jewish calendar, the Passover. It was a feast of shame removed. And for a holiday like that, you can't leave your shame hanging on a cross out in public. A friend of Joseph's, a teacher of the law, Nicodemus, helped Joseph do this thing. Nicodemus was another secreted follower. Remember that night was Nicodemus' friend when he first visited Jesus with questions begging for answers. And on that occasion, night had given him cover so that his colleagues couldn't find out his fascination, his draw toward Jesus, and then use it against him later. Now, night was the enemy Nicodemus had to race. Buried by nightfall, all work had to be concluded before the start of the Sabbath. That's what the law required. And Nicodemus and Joseph probably recited the law in their heads, fumbled it over their lips as they worked, and they worked fast. We don't know how they did it. Probably Joseph and Nicodemus leaned ladders up on either side of the cross and pulled him off the nails and caught the weight of him between them. It's a beautiful picture in its own way. Jesus carried the weight of loving Joseph and Nicodemus to the cross and on the cross. And now Joseph and Nicodemus carry the weight of needing Jesus after the cross and from the cross and because of the cross. I'm not sure how I would have done the work if I were Joseph or Nicodemus. One way to do work like this is to focus by not focusing. Focus on the job, not the person. You can sometimes deny and defer emotion because you feel the urgency of the dark deadline closing in on you, bearing down on you. Lugging the body from the site of crucifixion through the garden to the tomb, short of breath, backs screaming with pain, arms and legs about to give out, but always finding enough strength for one more hurried, unsteady step. And then, when it was all done, then it hits you. 
all guttural and inarticulate, the grief and the loss and the anger, and you collapse outside the tomb against the wall as the stone is rolled, grinding over the open doorway, and the guard detail arrives to take up its post. Or maybe it comes later at night while you lie awake and ghostly details rob your sleep. Like the way his hands and feet were red and swollen and didn't look like his hands and feet. The way his eyes, which were always so full of life, had no light in them now. His eyes that could see all the way to the depths of your heart were now empty and unseeing. The other way to do work like this is to work through the emotions, swamped with tears and gasps that made it hard to see in the low light of the tomb as the sun was setting, with hasty smears of a sleeve across your face that don't help much, but what else can you do? And trembling, uncertain hands cutting strips of linen and rubbing perfumes and herbs and aloes into the fibers and shaking all over with shock as his arms and legs and torso unwieldy and heavy like wood are lifted and wrapped. Whatever it was like for Joseph and Nicodemus, they didn't have the time they would have liked to have given a friend and one they thought was the Messiah. They did a passing job And they planned to come back and finish it. They planned to come back after the Sabbath was finished. They planned to come back and do it right on Sunday. No time to think. No time to be perfectionists. No time to be sentimental. No time to feel. No time to mourn. Quick, there's a tomb waiting for him. And families and a feast waiting for them. And the sun is slipping under the horizon. This Passover in John 19 is rushed. Just like the first Passover in Exodus 12 was rushed. Don't pack up your belongings. Don't load the wagons. There isn't time for all of that. Don't put yeast in the bread dough. We can't wait for it to rise. No long lingering goodbyes with your Egyptian neighbors, the few who treated you decently. Put your sandals on your feet. Walking shoes at the table. Forget all the customary washings. Keep your belt on around your waist. Hold your walking staff in your hand while you eat. Travel attire for dinner and eat fast. And then lights out. Everyone go to bed with your clothes on. Shoes still on your feet. Walking staffs still cradled in your arms. Hoods, scarves, tied around your heads and be ready when it's time to move you'll know it you'll be awakened and then it's out the door and into the night and no looking back move fast we aren't staying here and then 2,000 years later 2,000 years between Exodus 12 and John 19 All those years had passed. Back in Jerusalem, while everyone else is celebrating the Passover out in the city, 
and in the comfort of homes, Jesus takes the Passover into the tomb and he celebrates it. He reenacts it there by himself, alone. He ate the bitter herbs of pain and alienation from God. And he drank the salt of tears for the rift in holy closeness. And he was the unleavened bread, the pure one. And he was the lamb of sacrifice without spot or blemish. And he was the smear of blood over the door that buys our Passover. He's our going into captivity and our coming out of captivity. And he's the plague of the firstborn dying for unbelief and blasphemy. And he's the plague of darkness, the light of the world going out. He celebrates a strange, lonely Seder. Because he is the Seder. He's the last Seder. And everything that's occurred and happened to Jesus, everything that's been done by Jesus, has all the rush and hurry of Passover in it. Quick, take him down from the cross. All uncleanness has to be put away. Quick, move him through the garden to the cemetery. Jesus, where should we go to prepare the Passover that you may eat it? Not in the upper room of the home of John Mark's mother this time, but in the tomb that belongs to Joseph. Quick, get linens and spices and perfumes and prepare the burial clothes. Quick, no time to mourn. There's a feast of rejoicing that begins to remember that God will deliver His people from their captivity. Quick, night falls. Stack the spices. Pile all the remaining spices with the body until we have time to come back and do it right. We'll finish it later. But when the women came on Sunday morning, there was nothing left for them to finish. In this Passover, in John 19, Jesus had a hurry and a haste of His own. In the heart and the intent of the Savior who in His authority had not only suffered all this, but He intended all of this, Jesus made His own burial rushed. He left us no time to mourn Him, no time to prepare His body properly, no time for a funeral, no time for a liturgical service, committing Him to the realm of the dead in the will of God. It was like eating with sandals on His feet and a belt around His waist and His walking stick in His hand because He wasn't staying here. He wasn't remaining in the tomb. He wouldn't stay dead. He came out of the tomb like it was Egypt. He came through death like it was the Red Sea, split wide and dry. Jesus came rushing out of the tomb like two million captive Jews set free. And you should come rushing out with Him. Good Friday is supposed to be a blur. Thank God we can't mark the season with memorable Good Fridays from year to year. 
Every Good Friday, it's the same for us. Every Good Friday is filled with doubt and questioning. Did I reflect enough? Did I feel my sin enough? Was I troubled enough? Did I feel my need of the Savior enough? Did I mourn enough? And every year the answer is the same. No. Of course not. But it doesn't matter because Jesus has hurried off to the tomb to celebrate the Passover. And he has felt and he has mourned and he has carried the weight of the day and he has suffered for you. Good Friday is supposed to be a blur because Easter is meant to linger. Jesus comes charging out of the tomb the same way that Peter ran from the high priest's courtyard, but for an entirely different reason. This time it's not for failure, it's for fulfillment. Jesus had to run out of the tomb because he had your names carved into his hands. And he had your names singing and thundering in his heart. And he saw your faces swimming in the tears of joy that washed in his eyes. He had to come running out of the tomb because the tomb is our exile and it's our exodus. And it's no place for us because it's no place for fellowship with our God. It is no place for us to worship our God. No place for us to live with Him and to love Him and to love each other in His name and with His heart. It's not the promised land. So Jesus hurried in to hurry back out for us, which means one thing. When Jesus, who ran past the stone door that once locked Him in, stands outside your tomb and He calls you out of fear and out of jealousy and out of coveting and out of greed and out of selfishness and out of guilt out of hatred resentment out of lust, out of your need to win the argument more than a need to forgive, out of immaturity, out of bitterness and pride and idolatries of all kinds, out of unrepentance and unbelief, when Jesus stands outside of your tomb and He calls you out, Run. Move. Be quick. Hurry. You're not staying here. The Passover is rushed. Good Friday is a blur.
because Easter lingers. And Easter is rest. Amen. Christian, even in, especially in times of darkness, sorrow, failure, need, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried.